The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. Proudly made in the USA, customizable SeaDeck no-skid traction is non-absorbent, closed-cell EVA specifically formulated for the marine industry. For a free sample and more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 82 of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'm the one-time Wake Award winner, Dan Lamano, the noise of the North, recording this portion of today's podcast from my boathouse studio just outside of Orlando, Florida, overlooking beautiful Lake Sawyer. And now it's time for some audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you in part by SeaDeck Marine Products. It's time to get your boat looking and feeling brand new with some custom Sea Deck non-skid traction on or in your boat or watercraft on your dock or anywhere normally prone to slippery surfaces, even paddle boards and wake surfers. Sea Deck has a growing network of certified fabricators and installers covering the USA, Canada, Europe, and the South Pacific. It's now easier than ever to have a Sea Deck professional take your project from start to finish. Just head over to SeaDeck.com, find the custom button on the website, look for the interactive map to locate a Sea Deck certified fabricator or installer in your area to schedule an appointment today. Check it out. Again, it's cdeck.com. All right, so here we are, guys. Episode number 82. I've had a little bit of a vacation the past uh, week or two, uh, or so to say, a little vacation. I've still been working. I went out to Chicago after my last trip, which was to Phoenix, Arizona, that snowboard rail jam. I think I talked a little bit about it on episode number 81. I was in Chicago for a few days with my family and my girlfriend. Then my girlfriend and I, we went out to Denver, Colorado, and we had a couple of meetings out there, as well as uh, the opportunity to record with my special guest today. I got back to Orlando just a few days ago. It's pretty chilly here in Orlando, I guess probably not as cold as where it is for some of you all who are listening right now, but cold, I would say, for for Florida. I think we'd be getting into the 40s and the 50s at night and the 60s, 70s during the day. Yeah, I've been hibernating a little bit, but hey, no big deal. I guess you guys are probably like, you wussy, it's not that cold, and you're probably right. Dano the Mano from 15 years ago would need no wetsuit, would be hopping in the water, skinning it, but now... Yeah, it's it's wetsuit season, and that's why I'm stoked to be so cool with my friends over there at Performance Ski and Surf. I just go and over there, and I grab a wetsuit, and it's perfect. All right, let's get on to my guest, guys. My guest today is PJ Marks. PJ Marks, for those who aren't familiar, 
is the original co-founder, operator, and owner of the illustrious wakeboard camp, which ran out of Central Florida and Claremont for so many years through the 90s and through the 2000s until PJ sold it to the Sitchell family around 2006 or 2007, of course. Bob Sitchell, you guys know that name. He's uh, one of those style masters. He was in the movie Dog Days last year. But anyways, guys, uh, we'll talk all about that. Uh, PJ selling the wakeboard camp back around that time. And it's one of the many topics we get into in this podcast. You know, PJ Marks is a pretty eccentric dude. He's fun. He's opinionated. He's energetic. And he seems to have earned some major success in his life within the wakeboard and toad water sports arena as well as outside of it in this episode we talk about pj's roots his mom being a professional water skier for the tommy bartlett road show way back in the day him moving to orlando in the mid 80s and towing the likes of water ski legend carl roberge we talk about of course the wakeboard camp we talk about pj's Wakeboard instructional DVD set, the book, which has taught so many the basics and advanced tricks in wakeboarding. PJ tells me the book DVD grossed over a million dollars in sales. PJ also had numerous roles on and off screen in the movie Meatballs 4, which is notoriously known as one of the worst movies in cinematic history. We talk about that. Also, just a little bit of a warning for you guys, closer to the end of the interview, we do get into what some may consider to be a little sensitive uh, conversation. You see, PJ is now a part of what is being called the Green Rush on the West Coast, advocating the use of medical cannabis, as well as currently working on a documentary, among other things. If it does sound like something that will offend you, I will pop back on just before that part for a quick reminder. Talk about a quick reminder. I do still have Golden Mike Podcast dad hats, stickers, buttons, and now magnets available. Facebook message me on the Golden Mike Podcast Facebook page or shoot me an email, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. Also, just a quick note. To those of you who might not listen to the end of the episode, this coming weekend, I'm going to be heading to Austin, Texas for the 30th annual Damn to Damn Race. It's a barefoot contest in Austin, Texas. It's going to be on Facebook Live through the footin.com Facebook page. Make sure you guys check that out or come say what's up to me there in Austin. I got the Nautique Dealer meeting. I'm heading to Acapulco mid-November and the Slider Spectacular in Orlando. So those are some events that I'm going to be at, and I'd love to see you guys at those as well. Now, before I do move on any further, the Golden Mike Podcast is brought to you for free twice monthly on the first and third Wednesday of every month. Find us and listen on demand anytime, wherever it is that you do your podcast listening. You can listen online for free at noiseofthenorth.com, as well as on SoundCloud. Also, you can find the Golden Mike Podcast on iTunes, through the podcast app on your smartphone, and pretty much any Android device. Just go and download their podcast app, then search the Golden Mike Podcast. Find us, subscribe there. Remember, guys, please rate and review the show. 
Email me if you have any questions. To keep this podcast no charge to you, the listeners, I'd like to thank the sponsors of the show. CDEC, Marine Products, Boulder Boats, Woodrow, Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, GoPuck, Footin.com, Rockstar Energy, C4 Belts, CWB Board Company, Leadwake, Ronix, O'Brien, and Slingshot Wakeboards. Follow me on social media, Instagram at DanoTMano, on Twitter at the DanoTMano, and at the golden underscore mic. And be sure to like the Golden Mike Podcast on Facebook. Reach me right there on Facebook through the Golden Mike Podcast or email goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. No audio montage this week, so we'll get right on to it with my guest PJ Marks after a quick word right here on the Golden Mike Podcast. Lead wake bags are designed with wake surfers and wakeboarders in mind. Lead wake bags are designed perfectly to be stacked and placed in tight spaces. Custom designed lead wake bags are easy to shift around in your boat and will help clean up any wake without having to fill excess water bags or move your friends around. You can buy lead wake in multiple sizes, but I recommend the 50 pounders and so do some of the biggest names in wake, including Danny Harp and Sean Murray, just to name a couple. Lead wake ships free anywhere inside the U.S. You can find out more and order online at leadwake.com. That's L-E-A-D-W-A-K-E.com. Leadwake. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. It's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the north, Dano the Mano. EJ, welcome, man, and thanks uh, for, for being on the podcast. Thanks for giving me the honor of being on the podcast. I know, dude, it's been, it's been a while, I think, probably since a lot of people within our Toad Water Sports industry have probably heard your name, but I was coming out here to Colorado, and I've been seeing all over social media, you've been doing a lot of stuff, and I thought it would be pretty important to uh, to, to come out here and, and catch up with you, talk a little bit about... Uh, about your past, you're the the hmm. former owner and the founder of the wakeboard camp. Did the I get that right? The world's first wakeboard specific training center. There were some other ski schools that you know said, "Hey, we teach wakeboarding," but we were the first one specifically created for wakeboarding only. Insane, man. 1996 March, and and that must. I mean, we're going to talk uh, quite a bit about the camp, but man, that that must have been. Uh, quite the hurdle because that was at a time when water skiing was I would still say they were still kind of peaking in water skiing a little bit yeah I had seen the light I knew that you know it was going to be the next snowboarding I knew it was going to take off I my dad still tells the story of you know when I told him about I'm going to open a wakeboard camp he said a what and then late years later he was like oh okay I get it now but I just saw the natural progression snowboarding from snow skiing and then wakeboarding from water skiing so I said you know no one's teaching it and then I contacted Tony Finn and said I got this idea and he said let's do it okay so I know that you come from a little bit of a water ski background I know your mom was a professional show skier uh, that's correct she was she did Tommy Bartlett's traveling road show or something like that back in the 50s and she was like 18 years old you know so think about a young Italian girl in the 1950s, a teenage girl going on the road with these lunatics with all the ramps and the and the boats and the motors and everything. Yeah. It was an adventure. It's 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 always so impressive what the parents do. 
It is. I was very fortunate to have parents that supported me and, you know, I took advantage of it. I know people who didn't, but I did and it turned out okay for me. Uh, before we fully jump into the wakeboard side of things, uh, let's just talk about where you grew up yep. and how you got into toad water sports. Well, it's funny. I was in New Jersey and I was a little kid and my mom got water ski magazine and I'd see these images and I was like, whoa, it's all I could think about. So I'm in school drawing pictures of people water skiing and like surfing. Like who are you drawing pictures of? Uh, me doing these things, like imagining this is what I want to do with my life. I didn't pay attention in school. I did terrible in school. Nothing interested me. And all I could think about was skating, surfing. And that's what I did. That was my passion. That was my release. That's my moving meditation, they call it. So you're just in the Zen zone. And so that's what skating, surfing, wakeboarding, all those things are to me, uh, is that you're so focused on doing what you're doing. There are no problems. There are no responsibilities. There's no cell phones. There's no internet. You're just focused on what you're doing. So I saw all these magazines and old skateboarding magazines, and I still have all of them. And I saw these images and I was like, this is what I want to do. So when it came time to go to college, we researched, my mom took me to Florida and I found out that UCF had a ski team. I was thinking about being a pilot and then I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to do that. And then that's how I ended up at UCF. And within the first two weeks, I met Natalie Roberge. She's like, hey, do you want to meet my brother, Carl? And I'm like, I can meet Carl Roberge. And I'm still friends with him to this day. I just talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He's a great, great guy, Carl. Okay, so what was the water ski scene like? Uh, give, tell me, oh, give me a, a year. This is great. When I was a kid, I was in the Jersey Skeeters. My mom joined this club. You know who's in that club? Banana George Blair. Really? That's where he learned to ski in, in the Navasink uh, River. Uh, the Skeeter is like a show ski club. Uh, it was a or, ski club. We did everything. They, that's where I learned how to barefoot with these big burly dudes out on a boom in the Shrewsbury River wearing long underwear because there was jellyfish everywhere. Around what year was it that you moved to Florida to go to UCF? Well, I graduated high school on Sunday and I was at UCF Monday morning. I had to go to summer school because I didn't have good grades. And looking back, it was just their way of making more money. But I did a summer class and that was it. I never really, I didn't get back to Jersey for another 20 years after that. <laughs> so so we're talking mid 80s at this point. I graduated 85. Yeah. So it was late, late 80s. I guess I graduated college like around 90, best six years of my life. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so what w you, you you mentioned Carl Roberge, and uh, I I yep. do admit a lot of my listeners are mostly yep. like wakeboard based, but Toad Water Sports is my passion. So Carl Roberge being Sammy and Carl, right? Exactly, Sam yep. Duvall, Carl Roberge. I mean, uh, two of the best jumpers of all time, just two yep. of the best water skiers Absolutely. in general. Yep. But I want to know what the water ski scene was like in Florida at that time, because nowadays we call Orlando the mecca of Toad Water Sports. Well, it always was. It always was. You know, the magazine was there. There was a lot going on. You know, it was a little less organized back then. What it was, was basically you had your sites, right? You had Lake Ivanhoe and people would bring their boats and hang out there. And UCF had a boat. So we'd leave it there. We'd trailer it down there. And then, of course, Mike Chadwick at SkiWorld, big influence on me, a lot of help for me. Um, I worked there with him. I worked with Carl. So you end up working at these ski schools, driving boats and coaching. And I was lucky enough to, to drive like Carl trusted me to drive for him for slalom and for jump. Like that was, you know, that's a big thing. That guy's life is in your hands. And so is that boat because though that was yeah. in the days that there was no speed control. Oh, no, perfect no, pass. no, no. You, he would just say, when I dig in for my countercut, just floor it. And you're talking like, you know, 300 horsepower. And this guy's hitting the ramp at 72 miles an hour. It was insane. So I understand just like your mom skied in uh, uh, Tommy Bartlett's professional ski show. Uh, you also got your 
um, professional career sort of started. Um, yep, that was a great adventure gig show. in Jackson, New Jersey. Yep, that was my first gig. Talk about, because I grew up in the ski show. I did just the amateur stuff. Yep. Um, talk a little bit about some of your experiences in the ski show and some of the shows that well, you listen, skied and where it took I, you. I am, I am an attention hound. I admit it. I love, you know people's applause and praise i mean i think most people do i, I might be a little worse i might At be a little you can admit it yeah i'm a little needy it's fine whatever <laughs> i really enjoyed being in front of a crowd and doing tricks and having the praise of you know young girls saying whoa that was so cool hey can i have your autograph hey you know i felt special absolutely nothing wrong so I guess. where were what, what shows did you all ski in well i only did two actual ski shows i did the one in jackson new jersey when i was 16 i think that was 1984 or so then I did another show out in San Diego. SeaWorld San Diego opened a show in like the early 90s, 90 or 91. And, you know, a whole nother story. I did that gig. Uh, I ended up hurting my ankle halfway through the season. Found out the guy who did the show was lied to everybody to get him there. There were no contracts. We were young kids. He told me one thing. I got there and it was totally different. I was not happy about that. Then when I found out he did it to other people, I basically milked that ankle injury for the whole season and just said, no, my ankle's still not better. Sorry, I can't ski. And they all knew I was lying. Who were some of the guys you were skiing with back then? I don't because even I know remember. Like Kevin Michael. I know Kevin Michael was on my ski team back in Wisconsin. He was like one of my mentors growing up. And it was right around that time that he went out to San Diego, I think, but he went to Marine To World. be honest, none of those guys from that show made any kind of impression on me that I would remember any of their names. But I know that they remember mine because they didn't like me because I, I was friendly with a girl who answered the phone. And there was a phone call one day and I was hobbling around on my crutches, faking my injury. And I said, oh, who, you know, what's going on? She goes, oh, some guy just called about a movie. I said, oh, can I get his number? And she's like, no, I'll get fired. I go, oh, come on. So I called this guy and I just said, hey, PJ Mark's calling from SeaWorld, San Diego. What can I help you with? He's like, oh, I got to come by the show. We lost our writer. We need a new script. I need to, I need a videotape of the show. I go, oh, I just happen to have a videotape of the show in my hand. Would you like me to overnight it to you? He goes, oh man, that would save me so much trouble. And I said, well, what else do you need? He goes, I need everything. I don't know anything about it. I said, listen, I'll get you the boats. I'll get you the jet skis. I'll get you the skiers. I'll get you all the equipment so i called Connolly. i okay, called ski brandella you're, you're wait okay so you're <laughs> you're talking about a movie yep. and you're getting all this yep. stuff set up so i did the whole there, thing there aren't too many movies that nope. i know of that have like water skiing there's or only water a few stunts. there's uh uh uncle what was that uncle uncle buck, buck? or no great outdoors great outdoors was yep. one of them a uh, police academy i remember david was there Reinhardt, oh uh, cool yeah yeah that. yeah uh, Meatballs 4 with Corey Feldman. That was the one I worked on. Details Magazine called it possibly one of the worst movies of all time. Okay, so you're skiing SeaWorld around 91. Yep. You get this this Meatballs thing. Yep. Um, oh, so I'm coming home on the plane and I'm looking at a magazine and I see an ad for, I think it was Disney. Yeah, Disney Surprise in the Skies. And they were flying hang gliders behind boats. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm kind of done dragging behind the boat. Maybe I'll get in the driver's seat. So I applied for this job at Disney and they put me on like fireworks loading or something. I'm like, no, no. But that's where I met all the hang gliding guys, the guys from Quest Air. These guys were the pioneers of aero towing hang gliders. This guy, Bobby Bailey, specifically built and or designed and built an airplane to pull hang gliders. It flies like 25 miles an hour. So when, where does the wakeboarding fit in? Like, when did you get into the wakeboard stuff? Well, the, the, my original thing with wakeboarding, like I said, Mike Chadwick, Ski World, I was hanging out there. I think I was working for him and he got a scurfer in and we're like, oh, let's go take it out on the lake. So we're trying it and it was a piece of junk and it was hard to ride, but I got pretty good at it. And, you know, I was trying flips because I was a lunatic and I didn't care and, you know, I can't hurt my body. So you're riding, so you're riding like the big, thick plastic scurfer. <laughs> molded, foam filled 
like yeah foot straps it was awful you remember like when the technology changed in the boards oh yeah listen i remember begging for twin tips and i remember getting the Connolly razor which was like a razor blade it was purple it was like yeah, the that was closest. my first board was it yeah yeah i've got some really cool old photos of me doing like fashion airs basically on one of those that i used for like modeling shots and yeah, I remember the Flight 69. Oh, finally a twin tip board, but it didn't have enough rocker. Then I remember working with, uh, well, Bill at Performance Ski and Surf, another very big influence, a very big help for me. He always helped me with equipment. When I had Wally Water Sports, my first you know, boat rental and tours of the Butler chain, anything I could do to get people out of my boat. And you know, it worked for a year or two, but you know, I couldn't make money doing that. And then when the camp came around, you know, Bill was a huge help and got me into all the right equipment. I remember I broke probably, I don't know, six or seven honeycomb hyperlite twin tips. What was that board called? The T2. Was that what it was? There was the Dooley and then the T2 came out right after I that. I thought it was something else, but yeah, yeah, you might be right. Or but you yeah, might was, be thinking of the hyperlite. Uh, there was the bath and then there was yes, the... Yes, that was it. It was yeah. the bath and the honeycomb version. I broke at least five or six of those just sure. getting crazy. And Bill always replaced them, man. Bill was a big help to me. All right, well, let's let's talk about the wakeboard camp because that's probably the stamp that you're most uh, famous for. Yep. Um, so... You've already mentioned that it was that you and Tony Finn kind of yep. co-founded. Yes, the- yeah, he was he was my fifty fifty partner. I drafted up an agreement. It was ten or twelve paragraphs. Um, it held up later on when I needed it. There were some things that we. I, I, you could say disagree, but I feel like he didn't honor his agreement and I had to, and I gave him plenty of time to come clean and he didn't, I had to file suit and I ended up getting everything unfortunately, you know, unfortunately for him, but fortunate for me. Right. Sure. And uh, no, but in the beginning he was, he was very valuable. He sent us a lot of people. I remember him telling me if we start a wakeboard camp, I'm going to send you so many people that you're going to be calling me in six months saying, stop sending me people. And I remember six months going, dude, quit sending me people. Like the way the camp got started was this, you know, I, I, I had come up with the idea and then like a week later, Finn calls me up and says, I got seven pro wakeboarders from Japan who want to come for a month and I want to send them to the wakeboard camp. And I'm like, there is no wakeboard camp. What are you talking about? So I literally went to Home Depot. I was living with my, my girlfriend at the time, Suzanne Duncan, who another one who did unbelievable amounts of work was so such a big part of the wakeboard camp, the beginning of the wakeboard camp. She, so let me get back. Seven pros from Japan for a month. I go to Home Depot. I buy wood. I build bunk beds. Where we pick these kids up from the airport. Where's They're the like, location? In a house I was living in. There was no location. And where were you at? You were at the We were in Granada time, Villas, which was like a little community that had a private lake. And the only way you could use the lake, and we were the only people. It was Little Sand Lake. It's, it's a pretty built-up lake now. But this is early incarnation there was no wakeboard camp this is this is just your house over (laughs) in dr and we were commuting with two boats well i had my boat we'd go to the lake uh what was that the orange county sportsman's association near tom king's house on lake tibet yep and we would launch the boat there go five lakes up to dean's house with coolers full of lunch all our gas and dean would like rent me his boat and dean and sean would coach they were that was the wakeboard camp that was the first version Wow. So then, so then they leave they're there for like a month and I'm like, Oh my God, I'm exhausted. I'm like, Oh man, this is, this is crazy. How am I going to do this? But was you know? it worth it? Well, that was, that was the beginning of hundreds of people from Japan 
coming to the wakeboard camp. We even had an article in Japanese wakeboarding magazine. There's pictures of me, like look at my social media. So let's talk about the camp. Let's talk about when and how you moved to Claremont, which I yep. think is the most famous of where, where when and where oh, the camp yeah, was. Oh yeah, definitely. So I bought the first building. We ran out of there for a couple of years. You know, I didn't know how it was going to do. I couldn't afford lakefront property. Finally, there was lakefront property for sale, but it was this big mess and it was only the lakefront. There were no buildings. This other building was encroaching. So I made this deal where I bought it from this old citrus farmer for what everyone was saying was way too much money. And I said, well, you know, I need it. I bought it and I did a land swap with this guy where I gave him lakefront property for a building. And then that building ended up becoming the wakeboard camp. We put, you know, a few hundred grand into it. And it was this beautiful, you know, it was this old warehouse that was, I think it was originally for storing lumber because there was a rail line right there. It was the rails to trails project that created all that beautiful area in downtown Claremont. And, you know, we were right on the trail, the only piece of commercial lakefront property. And that was the wake home for the wakeboard camp for, you know, good eight years or so. And, and is, that's where it went. That's where it was. Until that was the main. Yeah, that was the main place. Right. And I kept the property and I sold the business to, to Ron Sitchell. Okay. So you had a, I worked at performance from 2003 until 2007 and once a week, you not you personally but the wakeboard no, for camp. a while it was me <laughs> they would show up with a, a suburban with full a, of japanese or wherever anybody, they were from yep, from all and over the world sometimes and that would happen once a week oh sometimes twice yeah it, it, and and sometimes it would be there would be eight to ten students oh yeah we'd and fill that suburban up eight to ten students the next day or something yep. like that yeah yeah we had 25 students a week at times five i just boats. don't know that the the wakeboard school um business is does that anymore. what do you mean like brings in these kind of numbers well anymore. because they didn't realize how important it was you know for the shop for the students you know it benefited everybody well, i'm not just saying bringing it into the shop i'm just saying like in general like like the amount of people going to get lessons to learn to wakeboard these days. I wouldn't know. <laughs> I got out, man. Like you said, I just, I just left. I, I mean, just, was that part of why you were getting out? Was it starting to slow down back then or was no, it just for me, for honestly, yeah, it'd become stale a long time ago. It's very hard to coach wakeboarding over and over and over for 10 years. I mean, man, I give Kyle Schmidt a lot of credit, man. He was there from day one until I sold it. And you know what? When I sold that camp because he was there, I gave him 10% of the proceeds of the sale of that business and I didn't have to. No. Wow. Well, wow. you talk about like the coaches, man. And, and, yep. and just from when I worked at performance, the, the people that would come in with your students that were coaches, Amber wing, Aaron Reed, Kyle Schmidt, just yep. to name a few of those guys. And I was hoping that maybe you could talk a little bit about, um, like maybe those three. Oh, in I got a couple of great, yeah, I have great stories then, about all of them. And then maybe if there's any other coaches that stick yeah. out. No, the big ones were definitely, um, Kyle and Ben Greenwood and Aaron Reed. They both, they all got rider of the year. No, I don't think Kyle did, but Aaron and Ben both got rider of the year Alliance. You know, Aaron's story is great. He was a young kid. He was 16 years old, spinning around on the lake behind an old ski nautique with but his dad he's a driving. Skater, so tell everybody what he was spinning. Oh around no, on. no, he was he was on at that time. I don't remember. Well, he's I, a retired wake skater now. Yep, I think at the time, I I think he was on a wakeboard, but I I think he used to trick ski too. You'd have to ask him. But yeah, I remember him. A little bit. I remember him spinning around doing like the same move over and over. And he'd come by the camp, and he was this dorky, gawky little kid. Well. 
was. Yeah. Yeah, Aaron's awesome. I love Aaron. He's Um, he's just a dorky, gawky adult. Right, right. Just like me. Just like me, man. I wouldn't say it if I wasn't one of them. Um, And he would come by the camp and say, I'll do anything. Please just let me work here. You got to remember, like, if you worked at the camp, you were getting in the magazines, you were getting in the videos, you were getting exposure and you were going to a coach. You were getting paid to coach wakeboarding. And I let let them look, I let them do whatever they wanted, man. They'd bring their dogs to work. You know, they ate there like we were a family. We were a huge family for sure. And I treated people like that because I wanted them to be happy. But that was part of it, too, because you lived there, too, right, as a coach? For a while in the beginning, yeah. I lived in the main building with Suzanne, and we had to share a bathroom with, you know. The coaches, too, though, would live there as um, well. Every once in a while, we housed coaches. Like, say, Chad Morin came in, and he might have stayed with us. I don't remember. But, yeah, there were people that stayed with us. But, I mean, I was renting out places, rooms for campers. I really wasn't accommodating people. That was a whole other thing. But, anyway, Aaron says... I'll scrub the toilets. I said, fine, go scrub the toilets. And he scrubbed the toilets for a while. And next thing you know, he's rider of the year. (laughs) Yeah. Benny G, Benny Greenwood has a great story. You know, he was bugging me for months and months and probably six or eight months. He sent me tapes and, I just didn't have time. I didn't look at it. And was I was he like, a look, student? Man, was was no, Ben a student or anything? I don't think he so. He just wanted an opportunity. He, he wanted from, to work there. He's from the Northeast too, right? Yeah, he's from New York. And I, you know, what is it? Craig, who's the guy in New York? He's got a shop. Yeah, I'm not sure off the top of I my head. I can't remember either. Um, but anyway, he would bug me and bug me. And I'd say, listen, man, I'm sorry. We got enough coaches. And so finally he comes out and he keeps bugging me. And I think, uh, you know, Kurt Robinson's and Kurt Robertson's another one who deserves a lot of respect. He was there for years and years. So he's still coaching just down the road from, from where you guys were at. Yeah. Good for him, man. Now he's a great guy too. A great coach, just great spirit, wonderful guy. Um, so he's driving the boat and, and Ben gets behind the boat and, you know, I'm just sitting there and Ben takes like one wake jump, like the first jump. And this is how good he was. I could just tell. And I looked at Kurt and I go, you're fired. just as a joke but i mean ben got hired immediately because he was such a good rider and he turned out to be a great coach so that's ben's story oh there's another one we were doing something we were helping oh we were moving boat lifts we didn't have boat lifts in the beginning we just just put screw anchors in the ground and we actually lost a lot of boats due to wind and waves so we're finally getting the money to put in boat lifts and we're you know buying used ones from people and i'll never forget this ben says something about oh i want to do something for my career and i looked at him and i joked and scoffed and laughed and was like career and wakeboarding like whatever dude and then you know it was just this thing you know as he was rider of the year he's like yeah my career's doing okay now isn't it you dick <laughs> yeah yeah now yeah now he's working for for bonnie air right Gordon Waters, nah, right and his career exactly living. his career turned out just great but it was just funny because i was i don't know if i was half joking or whatever but kyle's another one kyle's been was there from the beginning he was a claremont local he, he and another guy the other guy had a bit of an attitude and didn't last and kyle just you know sucked it up and man he coached he's probably coached more wakeboarding than anyone on the planet would be my guess well, I mean, and and I think like that's so cool with Kyle Schmidt because I don't know if you're following what he's doing now, but the yeah yeah I of, talked to of, him the other day. You know now he's got his own board brand, and I think yep. you know he's he's definitely. I mean, you go back through the old pages of wakeboarding mag, and when they were do the board tests, I mean he was one of the. It seemed like he was he was always involved. He loved he loved the board stuff and the testing. He did a lot of work for Liquid Force building bindings, and I think he was part of the original zipper thing. I, you know, don't quote me for sure, but I know he was working on a lot of stuff with Liquid Force. Hey guys, I'm going to stop the conversation right there for a quick shout out to Boulder Boats, now with three U.S. locations on the Southwest and West Coast. Stop by Boulder Boats today in Nevada, Arizona, and California. 
all three locations stocking all new Malibu and Axis boats. So set up an appointment today for a demo ride. Plus, they have a deep stock of previously loved pleasure or performance boats, something for all price ranges and levels of boating. Like Boulder Boats on Facebook and check out boulderboats.com for locations, full inventory, and events. And now let's get back to PJ Marks right here on the Golden Mike Podcast, baby. Well, I got to ask you because, um, you know, a couple of the, the brands we've just been sort of chatting about also seemed to be intertwined slightly, if, if I remember correctly, with the wakeboard camp. I always remember right. like Liquid Force having some time. Well, I always remember. Tony Finn wanted to call it the Liquid Force wakeboard camp. And I was like, no, that just limits us. You know, I, I want people who ride Hyperlite to come. I don't want to call it Liquid Force. And plus, he didn't give us anything. You know, I was like, you want to pay for it? You want to give us something? Fine. But he didn't. And I said, no, it's called the wakeboard camp. And then also like wakeboarding mag. I remember. I I just always remember you um, writing articles. I also remember just so many of the instructionals um, featuring riders like Kyle or Ben. Well, the way I looked at it was this. They needed content. You know, it cost them money to send someone out there. These guys were all busy. They were overworked, underpaid. You know, Heather Lee. Doug Duquesne, Bill Doster, Josh Letchworth, you know, they didn't have the time to do this basic instruction stuff. So finally, I just said, hey, listen, do you want me to do it? Do you want me to shoot the pictures? Do you want me to lay out the the words? Do you want me to write it? And they said, oh, absolutely. We'd love that. So once I realized I was a value to them, you know, I created the content basically. And, you know, who else am I going to use? Of course, I'm going to use my coaches. So there'd be six pages of you know, Kyle Schmidt and Rob Reed and Glenn Fletcher and, and, you know, all these coaches, Ben Greenwood and Aaron Reed teaching you how to do something. And then the next page would be an ad. Hey, come to the wakeboard camp and ride with all these guys. And it was like a no brainer. And I don't know why. Marketing genius. It was simple. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, most of the most, most of the best ideas are simple, right? Absolutely. So it was very simple. I used all my coaches, made them famous. They, they were getting in the mags and somehow I don't know how this went down. People tell me I negotiated this deal. I don't remember it, but somehow I got my logo and my web address and possibly my phone number in editorial in the instruction. <laughs> I don't know how I did that, but wow. You must I think have, it was the must only have, time in the history of Bonnier or World Pub. Yeah, you must have done a lot of work for those guys. Uh, yeah, I did. No I did. <laughs> yes, I did. You know what? I was very valuable to them, but once some of the other ski schools or wakeboard camps found out, they were not happy and it got pulled. Hey, I remember there was this time, it was uh, must have been early 2000s, and uh, rail riding was really starting to take off. Yeah. The, the Pointless Posse really uh-huh. helped kind of bring that uh, into fruition. Of course, the wakeboard camp, you guys had all those rails set up we there, We had, too. at one point, probably 15 objects illegally floating out in front of the camp anchored down with no lights and no permits and nothing i don't know how we got away with it for as long as we did but but you did we did there was there was i'm sure at one point it was the biggest obstacle course in the world by far so i recall there was a photo from one of the other um, wakeboard schools (laughs) trevor hansen's i love this story and um a lot of people were um (laughs) calling trevor out because they were saying it doesn't look like you are he was on a rail, but it yep. looked like he was like posing on the rail. I, I may have been partly responsible for exposing that because I actually wrote an anonymous letter to Wakeboarding Magazine saying, hey, can you help me out here, guys? I'm looking at this picture and there's not a drop of water and his shorts are hanging straight down. And I mean, this real I, I don't know why he would do that. Trevor's such a talented rider. Why would they fake this shot? And they ran the, the letter 
And I guess Andy saw it. Andy Hansen saw it and got a little upset and oh, whatever. <laughs> hey, so, it was it was BS and I called him on it and it was true. It was a fake photo. It was a setup photo. Crazy, man. All right. Let's um, I remember it was around 06. You got out of the wakeboard camp. You uh, decided to, to get out of Florida in yeah, general. Well, what, what was going on? Where'd well, you go? like you said, I had kind of done everything. Well, I said this. You, you said I was kind of bored with it. I was. I had done ESPN. I had worked on a movie. I'd done TV commercials. I wrote for the magazine. I was in videos. I was a coach in videos. And then we did the book DVD. There's a whole nother story we got to talk about. And I was just kind of, you know, I guess bored with it. And I said, I got to find something else to do. And I didn't know what I wanted to do. So at the time, I just happened to have an airplane and a house in the Bahamas. So I flew my airplane to my house in the Bahamas and hung out and started surfing and growing vegetables and fishing and just living off the land. How were you able to get? How were you able to sell the wakeboard camp? Funny story, man. I had this guy Ron Sitchell and his his son Robert yeah, or yeah. Bob. Yeah, he's he's well known now. Ron comes to me and says, "Hey, you ever think of selling this?" And you know, I've never said this before, but the first thing that popped into my head was, "Yeah, but I never thought I'd find anyone dumb enough to buy it." Because <laughs> I mean, it was a cool business, but man, it was a lot of work and a lot of stress and a lot of liability if somebody got hurt and you had assets. Like it was scary at that point. Like we had had some accidents at the camp, and luckily I'd never been sued. A girl came to me and was like, "You know, my insurance isn't covering this." I was like, "File suit? Like my insurance company?" She's like, "No." I feel so bad. I said, listen, do what you got to do. And you know, there's stories like that. And you know, he offered me money and I didn't really budge on the price and he bought it. And I said, okay, you know, I'm going on vacation. So I did. Okay. Another, you just kind of uh, touched on this a uh, moment ago, the book yes. uh, at, when it came out. And I would even say today, it is the most extensive yep. uh, wakeboarding instructional video now sean murray's got a very popular one yep detention's Detention. great and it's still selling and i was asked to be part of that by scott leonard and tony finn said no we're gonna do our own don't do it and you know i guess now that we did ours the story behind the book dvd was this you know we had people from all over the world and it was just over and over you got to do an instructional you got to do an instructional and it was just years of you got to do it you got to put this stuff down like you know you got such great coaching and all these great techniques and you know kyle was really responsible for a lot of that i kind of started it like let's break it down into basics and teach people basics don't ever recommend someone trying a trick you ask them what trick they want to learn and then say these are the things you have to learn like you know one day kyle's doing tantrum to blind crash tantrum to blind crashed and i said Kyle, can you ride in that in that blind position? Oh, I guess not. So I made him put the handle behind his back and just go cut around with the handle behind his back. Then he lands the trick. And I'm like, okay, I think we got something here. So he built on that. We had all these people begging us to do it. So Mike McClinn finally went to full sale. I guess that's Chase Heavener's, right? Uh, his yeah, family. his family, yeah. Yep. So he went to full sale and learned how to shoot and edit and storyboard. And basically, Kyle and Mike did all the shooting. I worked a deal with them. I said, you you write it, shoot it. You can use all the wakeboard camps, boats, gas, all the coaches, anything you need. And then when it came time to do the first duplication run for the DVDs, I threw down 25 grand and we ended up grossing, you know, almost a million dollars over like seven or eight years. Insane, man. Congratulations. <laughs> and I think it still holds up today. Thank so. you. Yeah, yeah. That was a good project. I, I that, And that's why I love making independent films which hopefully we'll get into that in a few minutes we will but first you just you just threw a, a big number out there yep. million dollars man and following your career uh in the wakeboard industry um 
you kind of disappeared for a little bit. And then all yeah. of a sudden, um, we all get the word that PJ is going to be on Millionaire Matchmaker. <laughs> First of all, I didn't even know you were a millionaire. Well, you know, on paper, probably. Do I have a million in the bank? Nah. So, so talk about Millionaire Matchmaker and the experience because it's a oh. tele, it, I don't know if it's still on TV right now, but it's a television show. They would, ran it a lot. And what would they do? They would bring two millionaires together? Or? Basically. Well, there was two guests per episode. So I was one of them. They had some other girl, really had nothing to do with each other. But I was basically sitting in the Bahamas watching TV, you know, doing my thing. And I look at Millionaire Matchmaker and I think, oh, my God, I'd be perfect for that. But do you but you don't need help meeting a girl. Uh, listen, I'll take all the help I can get. Right. Right. <laughs> sure. And, and it, you know, it wasn't all it wasn't so much about that to me. I've always been in production. I have a radio and television degree. Like I said, I was always more into like creating images and working in production with Tom King and Doug Duquesne and Florida Film and Tape and all those guys more than I was competing. Oh, I'm the best. Who cares? That's not what wakeboarding is about. Yes, we need that for competition and for televised events, but that's not really what the sport's about to me. Who's better than... Nobody cares, I don't think. Well, some people do. I don't. And so I called them up and I said, hey, I got a great story. And they tried to sell me on her matchmaking company. I said, listen, I'm not giving anybody any money, but please pass on this information to the producers of the show. They're going to want me. Five minutes later, I had an email from Patty Stanger. We want you. So I'm in the Bahamas. They're like, oh, you got to come to New York. And I said, you paying? They're like, no. I said, well, then we're going to have to work something out then. So I built a tripod out of paint sticks and clamps and set my iPhone up on the beach and shot video of my dog catching a Frisbee or me riding a bike through town in, in Guanakee in the, in the Abacos or you know, wakeboarding. And I uploaded this to an FTP site. The guy who was the um, casting director, Vinnie Potestivo in New York, pieced it all together and sent it to Intuitive Entertainment in LA. And they approved it and said, yes, we'll hire him. So it was kind of, I was the only one who was the direct booked for that season out of 12 people. And you're, you're your own agent. <laughs> yes. And I read all the contracts from NBC Universal. It was Bravo, which was NBC. I didn't have an entertainment attorney in the Bahamas. I couldn't find one. So I just took like a couple of weeks and broke down every paragraph and went through it. And some of the clauses were really funny because you could tell something happened to create that cause that said or clause that said, if somebody there will be alcohol on set, if a third party's equipment happens to fall on you and kill you, we're not responsible. <laughs> so you kind of tell where that clause came from. So and then then it was came down to shoot the background bio piece. It's like a minute and a half piece they do on each, you know, millionaire or whatever. And I said, you know, I don't have anything in New York. Why don't you, you know, work with one of call one of these companies, Florida Film and Tape or Jordy Klein and get them to fly over here and shoot me over here. So Brad or Mike Fuller, I think it was Mike came over and with his plane, with uh, Cleave and a couple of cameras and a bunch of, what were they shooting then on disc or DVD, whatever they had. Yeah, right. I think it was DVD. I think they were like burning DVDs in the camera, maybe. I've, I, I've, Something I've, like yeah. that. And, and they had their airplane. So I directed, I put this whole sh shoot together of me living my life in the Bahamas in HD. So that was a big part of it too. Part of it was, it wasn't about meeting a girl. It was about learning you know, reality TV was a big thing at that point. I didn't know anything about it. So I wanted to learn it. Uh, I thought, what the hell? I'll get on TV. It's good branding for me. I mean, I had a lot of girls contact me through Facebook. I mean, it was really funny when the first when the show first came out. Facebook was just starting to get popular. And I always knew when the show was on because my phone would go blink, 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 blink. 
blink, 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 blink. And I'd have 50 Facebook requests from cute girls from all over the world. Like, I want to meet you. <laughs> Millionaire. <laughs> well, yeah, that too. They, they never actually checked my bank accounts. They did do a background check. I think they were more, you know, concerned with liability than how much money I actually had. Look, I looked like a millionaire and I think that's all that mattered to right, them. Right, right. So uh, all in all, positive experience? Oh, one of the best experiences of my life. No question. Like that was the first season they did it in New York. And I was just starting to go back to New York and New Jersey. And I became friendly with a couple of people. They were doing like, I did a premiere party. I rented out a bar and I still see people to this day. They were like, I ran into someone in New Jersey last trip. I was there in September and, oh, I was at your premiere party for Millionaire Matchmaker when you rented out the bar and bought everyone drinks. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. And, you know, I'm in New York and I'm a minor celebrity. And then I became friends with a lot of the other people from that season. And we would go out together and people would freak out. They were like, oh, my God, what are you guys all doing together? All right, listeners, I want to stop here once more. A quick warning that from here we are going to get into some discussion about the cannabis industry. Personally, I don't find it to be that edgy, but just a forewarning to any of the younger listeners. Let's get, we're here in Colorado. I'm at your house uh, and I appreciate you once again for uh, for for uh, meeting up with me and, and having Absolutely. me come over here and be a part of this. Um, I want to talk about what has brought you here to Colorado? Well, it's actually funny. I, you know, what does a washed up wakeboarder water skier do when he's in his forties? And I'm, you know, renovating this commercial property in New Jersey. And I'm like, I I don't really know what I want to do. And my dad says to me one day, my dad reads the paper every day and he's reading all this stuff about cannabis in Colorado. And he goes, well, why don't you go out to Colorado and sell weed? And I'm like, huh, I never thought of that. So I took a trip out here in the spring of 2014 when they first legalized it. And I was up in Breckenridge because I'd been there a few times and the cannabis cup was coming up. And I don't know if you know what that is. It's a contest where, you know, they sponsor like the best flower, the best indica or the best edible. And they have these categories and they have these contests. So, you know, High Times sponsored it and it was at the Denver. um, I can't remember the name of the complex, but there was 37,000 people from all over the world showed up. There was three or 400 vendors. And I was like, whoa, this, this is actually a legit industry. And this is the first year. And it blew my mind. So I drove back home and I got all my stuff and I moved out here. And I've been here ever since trying, you know, just seeing what's going on. And I've been lucky enough to meet some incredible people who I'm still friendly with today, who, you know, I think, you know, hopefully we can talk a little bit about this. I'm getting ready to work on a movie in Florida. And then I'm also in pre-production for a, a documentary about the cannabis industry. And I just, you know, had another phone call today about a guy who's a consultant. He's in uh, an, an attorney friend of mine who knows all the laws is in. We're going to interview all these incredible people to tell these incredible stories. And listen, there's a lot of education that needs to come out. Like A lot of people don't know about this plant. It has wonderful healing properties. You know, it's helping kids with seizures. It's helping kids with uh, ADHD. Um, it stops cancer, apparently. It helps with the effects of chemotherapy. It makes you hungry. It makes you thirsty. It makes you giggle. It makes you tired. It helps you sleep. Like, you know, everyone just has that old image of the hippie tie-dyed smoking. You don't, nobody smokes it anymore. There's, you vaporize the the uh, trichomes. There's, there's extracts and there's edibles. And, you know, you don't, uh, it's not about getting stoned. It's about feeling good. And there's so many beneficial, you know, aspects of this plant that honestly, we don't really know because it's still illegal on the federal level. So there's not a lot of research yet. What's, 
what's the deal with it? Because here's the thing. Like to, I, I say to each their own. I don't, yep. I don't judge anybody on anything. If you're a good person, then you're good with me. Okay. Uh, you can, you can smoke weed. You can, you can drink booze, yep. whatever. I've always noticed don't be that, stupid. I've always noticed <laughs> that people who drink probably tend to act a lot crazier than the hippies. Absolutely. Do, right? Um, but it, from from what we've kind of talked about, and what you've been telling me, it doesn't sound like you're here doing your work on the recreational side of things. No, to be honest, I'm more interested in. I, I think the first thing we have to focus on is getting medicine, especially to children who are suffering, and they're taking all these horrible pharmaceutical medications with all these side effects. When there's a natural plant alternative that has all these incredible healing properties that people just don't know about. Yeah, but here's the thing, like, we all, well, I mean, I've only seen it because it's a joke, but the movie, like, Reefer Madness, but all, these are what our parents were pumped with. Yes. And so, like, and, but lies, a lot of, lies, still, lies, 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 There's still so many people, even in, like, in my age yep. range or your age range, yep. who have children who refuse to give them well, I, I, once again, access I don't know. Access to medicine. I don't know. Well, there is access to medicine, but it always seems to be access to what the doctor at part of the problem right the, the doctors aren't up on it yet especially since it's still a schedule one drug which is insane because schedule one means high potential for abuse which is ridiculous and no medicinal value which is even more ridiculous because there's lots of medicinal value so that's one of the big things that has to change and it will it's all coming it's all a matter of time colorado is the blueprint for this Amendment 64 is one of the biggest changes. It's, it's, it's so huge. People don't understand what a huge turning point we're at in society, the way this has the potential to change society. Like you said, alcohol, there's law enforcement against prohibition. These guys know the dangers of alcohol, 95% or whatever. It's a huge number of domestic disputes involve alcohol and drugs like cocaine or meth. Nobody ever gets violent after consuming cannabis. Think of the last time a hippie tried to start a fight with you. Yeah. I've been to a lot of fish shows. Yeah. And Grateful Dead concerts. <laughs> and they're the nicest crowds because they're, they're mellow. They're, they're not out of control. They're not belligerent. They're not, it's not a motor skills thing. If anything, it makes you more true to yourself and it makes you not worry about things that don't matter. And it makes you, it makes me want to go outside and ride a bike or skate or surf. It doesn't affect your motor skills. If anything, it makes you more focused. Like you'll learn, I think as time, you know, goes by and more people come out green, they call it coming out green, admitting that they're cannabis consumers, you're going to see that a lot of these athletes, you know, they're saying that increases lung capacity. There, there's, there's so many benefits that we're going to find out. But anyway, you're going to see a lot of these counterculture athletes are going to come out and, and say, yes, I've been consuming it forever. I've, I've been consuming it since I was 10 years old. But do you, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm sure like, it, it sounds to me like, uh, maybe like earlier in your day, it was more on a recreational basis. Yeah, definitely. But, okay. So here you are now learning uh, and, and, but not only that, but, but you're somebody who's moved out to Colorado to be a part of this business, but you've also done it because for, for health reasons as well. So yep. can you give any like, um, personal stories of well, how the plant has helped you out? Well, to be honest, it wasn't a big help to me because I was such a mess. I needed medication. Uh, now that I'm on the proper medication, I take a little bit in the morning, a little in the afternoon, a little bit at night, and I just feel better. I feel lifted. I feel more focused. I feel calmer. 
But when I was a mess, it's not going to fix. It depends on your symptoms. It depends on what you have going on. There's different ratios of THC to other cannabinoids. It depends on your symptoms. Like if you're these kids, these poor children suffering from Dravet syndrome, they need, you know, high CBD. They can't have a lot of stimulating THC. So it depends on the affliction. It depends on what you have. Gotcha. Cool. I, I definitely appreciate uh, you for kind of breaking all that down. Also, I want to let you uh, give you an opportunity to kind of, um, if you want, plug one of your other ventures sure. that you've got going on here, because I know you've got a big following through the wakeboard camp and yep. um, we know it's no secret. So like, if uh, I know you, you're doing like some tour stuff, so maybe like some of the people want to come out and learn more or whatever. Yeah. I own part of my 420 tours. You can look that up. We're a cannabis tourism company, no interest in owning a license or growing. There's plenty of ways to play this. They compare it to the gold rush. They call it the green rush. And in the gold rush, the people who made the money were the picks and shovels. And, you know, I don't want to own a license. So, yeah, I have some incredible opportunities. If, if you're interested in the cannabis industry, hit me up on Facebook if you want to get involved. Like I said, I'm going to be doing this documentary that's going to be very educational. Looking back, you know, if, if I can give some shout outs to Suzanne Duncan for helping me out. Tom King, like I couldn't have done it without these guys. Kyle Schmidt, Jessica Webster. You know, they were my family. And I, I miss those guys. Heck yeah, dude. I de definitely appreciate it. Um, did you want to chat a little bit about some of the, um, like the movie ventures and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, I got a call on? from an old water ski buddy of mine, Scott DuPont. He used to ski on the ski team at Rollins when I was at UCF and he saw some of my Facebook posts and says, Hey, I saw you're into this and that. I'm making a film. It's a micro budget documentary about financing independent films and the more I've learned about it, the more I'm in on it. And now I'm the executive producer. I've bought the most shares of anyone because I really believe in this thing. We've got a great story. I, uh, some of it's confidential right now because the way we're going to roll out the marketing plan. But, you know, if you're interested in anything like that, just stay tuned. Again, follow my social media, Facebook, PJ Marks. Uh, you know, it's all there. It's not not too hard to find. And then, you know, I thought, hey, I'm making this movie I'm going to know how to make a movie. And I thought, why not make a documentary about cannabis? So I've been talking about to some of the top people in the industry and they're very interested. And I've got some verbal commitments for sponsorship and I'm going to use some of that sponsorship money to do a, uh, a original soundtrack for the movie with some of these jam band people. And we're going to re-record some old weed songs and we might do some original stuff. And I want to do an original score with sound effects and crazy trippy you know, images. I mean, it's, it's a movie about cannabis. We're going to, you know, touch on everything from the counterculture to the modern day, all the labs, all the medicinal stuff, all the high tech, all the money coming into this. Like, this is a big thing, man. This is like, this is like the dot com boom. This is how big this thing's going to be. Then I talked to a guy today. He's a, uh, an analyst or I'm sorry, a consultant. And he said, we're probably at about three to 5% of what this industry is going to be in 10 or 15 years. It's going to be a 30, $40 billion industry. Insane. And then, and, and all the, and there's so many people who are just sitting back kind of hating on it, trying to hold it down. But and, and a lot of people are actually scared to get involved, especially institutional investors, because it is still federally illegal. So it's a schedule one drug and any money you bring in, according to the federal government is still drug money. So there's all these stories about the financing of it and, you know, the, the, the beginning of this industry and the risks people took. And those are some of the stories I'm going to tell in this documentary. And I think it's going to be really interesting. I can't wait, PJ. Good luck, <laughs> man. Thank you, Dan. Um, 
throughout your days, you've had a lot of people behind you, supporting you. Yep. I know you just mentioned a few of the names there. Uh, you've also had a lot of brands. Yep. Uh, Performance wanna, Ski yeah. and Surf was huge. They helped us, you know, from day one. Malibu Boats was a great sponsor. We worked with Toyota Marine Sports when they were building boats. We were part of their research uh, facility. They would bring boats to me and say, break them. And I was like, what? That sounds fun. Oh my, yeah. I have pictures of like broken windshields and stuff. Like they wanted to see where the weak points were. So we were part of their test team. We were also part of their promo team. So that there's interviews of me. Another thing I've had digitized that I'm going to post online is like interviews of me telling why Toyota is such a great product and how we beat the crap out of these boats at the camp and how they just keep taking it. And, you know, yeah, we worked with Liquid Force. We worked with uh, Jet Pilot was one of my sponsors. Uh, Dragon Sunglasses. You know, the people wanted to be involved with the camp because the camp got a lot of press. Very cool, man. Uh, before I let you give your social media and stuff one more time, <laughs> was there anything else you wanted to touch on before we finish this thing up? Nah, just my parents for giving me the opportunity to do all this stuff. I'm very lucky. Cool. PJ, tell everybody where they can find you on uh, social media, well, on the internet. Look me up on Facebook. I think right now it comes up Investor at Independent Film, or you can search My 420 Tours, or just put PJ Marks in Facebook. I'm on IMDB now as a producer of this film. I'm on Twitter, PJ Marks. Uh, Instagram, PJ Marks. They're all spelled a little different, but look me up on Facebook, and I'm sure you'll be able to find me from there. Very cool. PJ, man, thanks for hosting Dan me again. Thanks for having me, man. This is, I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of this. Absolutely, dude. Episode uh, 80, 82, I think. It's not episode 420? <laughs> I, I wish, right? <laughs> Can it be? <laughs> Next time. We'll have you back on for episode 420. All right. I, I'm, in, I'm down. It's about five years away. But yeah, okay. We'll, we'll Sign me up. There. I'm down. Cool. There it is, guys. PJ Marks. I'm Daniel Lomano, and this is the Golden Mike Podcast, baby. We'll be right back. Thanks, Dano. Performance Ski and Surf in Orlando, Florida is your one-stop shop for all towed water sports needs. As an industry leader for more than two decades, Performance Ski and Surf's pro staff will sweep you off your feet with loads of industry knowledge and the best customer service in the biz. Right now, you can order online from perfski.com and receive 10% off your entire purchase by using my promo code GOLDENMIKE, all capital letters. Whether you're looking for current or closeout gear, Performance Ski and Surf has it all. And right now with my promo code Golden Mike, you just can't beat the deals. Performance Ski and Surf is just minutes from the Orlando International Airport or online at perfski.com. That's P-E-R-F-S-K-I.com. Woodrose is a sunglass company based in Central Florida that manufactures frames from wood and other sustainable materials. With an infrastructure built on a passion for action sports, life on the water, and the love for the great outdoors, there's no doubt Woodrose handcrafted wooden and sustainable eyewear will fit your lifestyle. Use my promo code MANO30 and you'll get an additional 30% off your entire order. Once again, that's promo code MANO, M-A-N-O-3-0 at Woodrose.com for 30% Set off everything. That's W-O-O-D-R-O-Z-E dot com. The Golden Mike Podcast is back with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. DJ Marks, what a character, to say the least. A minor celebrity, he says. I love it. 
It was a lot of fun reconnecting with PJ. I remember uh, him coming to perform at Ski and Surf back when I worked in there, back in the old days. And of course, from the pages of wakeboarding mag, back of course in the day, once again, as I always say. PJ, of course, we saw him on Millionaire Matchmaker. It was really fun getting to hear a little bit about all of that, as well as the future stuff that uh, PJ has uh, kind of in the mix. PJ certainly likes to push the envelope. He still likes to get extreme. We went and we did some uh, electric skateboarding down a mountainside in in Boulder, Colorado. And, uh, well, I should say PJ skateboarded down the mountainside. The The guy is insane, but hey... It is what it is. He likes to have a lot of fun. He doesn't have much of a filter. It was just really cool, guys, once again. PJ had hundreds of stories, and from the sound of it, I think he'd love to talk to all of you guys personally. Feel free to shoot PJ a message, say what's up. But for now, once again, I have to say thank you to PJ for hosting me at his home for this interview, and I look forward to catching up with you again soon, my friend. I do have some upcoming dates, some events, and I'd love to see you guys if you can make it out. This weekend, coming up, I'm going to be on Facebook Live with my friends over there at footin.com. That's going to be Saturday, November 4th. It's going to be early in the morning, I believe, for those of you guys on the West Coast. Maybe around 9 or 10 a.m. for those of you guys on the East Coast. Anyways, it's the 30th annual Damn to Damn Barefoot Race happening out in Austin, Texas. My friend Royal from BSR is going to be there, hopefully. Keith St. Ange, the footin.com crew, they're going to be out there trying to recapture a title. I think Keith is like a two-time Damn to Damn race champion. It's teams of four or five members. I think the race all in all is like 20-some miles long. It's absolutely insane. The next day, Sunday, November 5th, I'm going to be hosting the Nautique Dealer Awards in Orlando, Florida. Then the following weekend, Saturday, November 11th, I'm in Acapulco, Mexico for a big Mexican wakeboard contest. Capping off the season down there. And then the weekend before Thanksgiving, November 18th and 19th. Currently, my final event of the year happens in Orlando at the Orlando Water Sports Complex. The annual Slider Spectacular. Now, if anybody listening is interested in having me announce, commentate, do voiceover work, appear at your next event, maybe you want to advertise in the Golden Mike podcast, get a shout out, or just ask me any question in general, email me, goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. You guys can also message me through the Golden Mike Facebook page. That's also the best way to help support me and this podcast by purchasing Official Golden Mike podcast, dad hats, stickers, magnets, and so much more. Plus, I just love to hear from you guys. Please remember to find and subscribe to the Golden Mike podcast on iTunes, the podcast app, or any Android device podcast app as well. We're also on SoundCloud and noiseofthenorth.com. Share the podcast and let all of your friends and Toad Water Sports enthusiast peeps know all about it. Follow me on Twitter at the Dano T Mano and at the Golden underscore Mike on Instagram at Dano T Mano. And be sure to share and like the Golden Mike Podcast Facebook page. Thanks again to PJ Marks. And now a few shout-outs to the sponsors and folks. Behind the scenes, thank you to Sea Deck Marine Products, Boulder Boats, 
Woodrow, Sustainable Optics, Performance Ski and Surf, GoPuck, Footin.com, C4 Belts, Rockstar Energy, Lead Wake, CWB Board Company, Ronix, O'Brien, Slingshot, Wakeboards, Jenna Carruth on the web, and Rich Walsh on the audio. That's going to do it for today's show, and I appreciate you all for tuning in and listening. Again, I'm the Noise of the North. I'm Dan of the Mano, and you can hear me next time once again on the Golden Mike Podcast. Oh, yeah!